Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. It is a joy to be back tonight. Uh, Let me tell you about just a few of the books. Several years ago, the first book I wrote is just simply called Joyful Giving. And I was uh, in Michigan in a meeting, and I heard an, I thought an elderly preacher at that time, I was 35 years old. So he was in his 70s, and I thought he was old, old. Now I realize he was only in the prime of life. But, but he preached a message on uh, Acts 20, 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I'd already made a commitment to tithe, and I'd been tithing for several years. I'd, I'd made a commitment to give to missions, and I'd been giving to missions and so forth. But, but I can't honestly say that I, that I really gave joyfully. And I, I listened to that man that night, and he, he so enthused me that I thought, man, giving is not something you have to do. Giving is something you get to do. And the joy of giving. So there's several sermons in there. And uh, then after I came to West Coast Baptist College, uh, they published some articles that I had written and put them in a booklet, and it's called The Ten Principles for Biblical Living. And these are some of the principles that have guided my life through the years, and uh, I I think they would be a blessing to you. This would be a great gift uh, for a a graduate. Uh, I'm trying to find the title of the messages, and I can't, okay? But basically, it's it's, uh, uh, principles like uh, relationships are more important than fame or material, materialism. Uh, another one is it, it, uh, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Another one is if you take care of the small things, the big things will take care of themselves. Several principles like that. that that's been a great book to help to a lot of people. Then many years ago, I wrote a book called Fourth Quarter has nothing to do with football or basketball, okay? (laughs) But uh, I I was noticing people when they retire. The average people in America, they retire somewhere between 60 and 65 years of age. And they live somewhere between 80 and 85 years of age, an average, okay? And that means when they retire, they still got about one-fourth of their life left. And the sad thing is, many people, when they say retire, I mean, that's it. They do nothing. And guess what? They begin to die. And uh, as long as we're breathing, we ought to do something for the glory of God. So if you're 50 years old or older, and none of you look that old, but some of you probably are. Okay, if you're 50 years old or older, that'd be a good book to you. And when they published that book over time, or fourth quarter, a smart aleck preacher, and I don't remember his name, God has given me a good forgetful, forgetter, Okay. I'm glad I don't remember him, but he said to me, Brother Sisk, you're in overtime, aren't you? <laughs> and I was 70 years old then, okay. You're in overtime. Uh, and uh, just about three years ago, they published a little book that I wrote called Overtime. Now, uh, 
you are a mate, and one of you will be a caretaker someday. And there's a good bit in here about me taking care of Virginia and so forth. But I also tell about some of the things we got to do after we were 80 years old. We, we got to go to Japan for the 50th anniversary of the Sydney Newtown Baptist Church, which is now the largest evangelical church in the whole country of Japan. And uh, we, we did just so many good things. So overtime, okay? Now, if we have a sequence to the overtime and fourth quarter, it's going to be sudden death, okay? <laughs> and somebody else will have to write that for me, okay? But uh, I'll, I'll be out there. If you'd like me to sign any of your books, the biography or anything, uh, I'll be more than happy to do that. Let me put these on the piano. I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. I, I pastored for uh, eight years in Kentucky. I was associate pastor for two years at the Calvary Baptist Church in Harvey, Illinois. But uh, while I was pastoring at Kentucky, uh, God uh, began to burden my heart about the untold millions around the world. And uh, in, in 1961, I, I made a commitment to God uh, in the Brown Hotel in Louisville, Kentucky, after hearing a message by Dr. Kaufman, who was the general director of Southern Baptist Convention Mission Board. And at that time, I was a Southern Baptist. And uh, I made a commitment that, dear God, if you'll open the doors, and I did not know how I could do it, uh, then uh, I'll go to the mission field. I went back home, told my wife about it, and we began to make preparations to go to Japan. And God is good at opening doors. Bottom line, in 1964, uh, we left America. We left Harvey, Illinois, and, and went to Japan. And for, so for all of those years, since 1964, uh, I've, I've been totally involved in world evangelization. I prepared a message a few weeks ago on this subject, and that's what I'm preaching tonight is the history's greatest summit meeting. History's greatest summit meeting. And uh, you can Google summit meeting and you will get some very, very interesting summit meetings. Now, I'm not going over them, but, but it, it is very interesting, okay? But, but I want to talk to you about two of them for just a minute before we read the scriptures. Uh, in 1918, at the end of World War I, leaders got together from all over the world and they formed what they called the League of Nations. After the formation of the League of Nations, they informed the world that all wars had ended. In other words, we have got this thing all figured out. There'll never be another war. There has not been a day since 1918 when there was not a war somewhere, okay? 1945, after the World War II, again, uh, people from all over the world gathered together and they formed what still is in existence, the United Nations. They were going to unite all the nations. They were all going to get together and, you know, we're not going to have any differences. We're not going to have any problem with each other and so on and so forth. Uh, it's pretty obvious neither of those summit meetings did what they were supposed to do. But I'm going to talk to you tonight about a summit meeting. 
that everything that was proposed at that time has taken place. In Matthew chapter 28, we find the women going to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. Now, I've, I've often wondered why they did that. Uh, if you read your Bible, and you have, and you'll find out that uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they took care of the burial of the, the Lord Jesus Christ. They anointed his body. Why in the world the women wanted to do that, I have no idea, except for one thing. Uh, they probably thought, men don't know how to do anything, okay? And we're going to have to do it right. So probably they didn't do it right. So they're, uh, they've got their spices and everything, and they're, they're going to the, to the tomb on Sunday morning. And one of the big, if you read Matthew and Mark and John and all of the, the, the synoptic gospels, uh, then, then you find out that one of the things they were thinking about as they were going is uh, how are we going to roll away that big stone? They had watched as this huge stone was put at the mouth of the, the tomb. And uh, when they got to the tomb, they realized the stone had been rolled away. And that they went inside and looked and it was empty. And uh, th then the, the angel began to talk to them. And notice at verse 4, and he said, uh, For fear of him, when the angels appeared to them, for fear of him, the keepers did shake and become as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. Past tense, okay? He is not here. For he is risen, as he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And then notice what he said in verse 7, the angel. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as I have told you. There is the appointed place, Galilee. The women, with great joy, they started out to tell the disciples, we've been to the tomb, it's empty. Jesus is not there. He is risen. And on the way, they met Jesus. And of course, when they did, they worshiped him and so forth. And, and notice what Jesus said to them. Jesus said, be not afraid. Now notice, go and tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they meet me. So the appointed place for this summit meeting was Galilee. And there we find the world's greatest summit meeting. Look at verse 19, uh, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. The angel said, go tell my disciples to meet me here. Jesus said to the ladies, okay, go and tell my brethren that they meet me in Galilee. So, so they, they've met together. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee unto a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Now, look at that. 
And I believe in verse 17 that we find the greatest summit meeting of all time. Now, uh, it was not great because of the number of people that were there. We really don't know how many people met him there in Galilee. Uh, we do know that the 11 disciples met him. If you happen to have a Schofield Bible, uh, Dr. C.I. Schofield believes that this is where the 500 at one time had heard Jesus. Whether that's true or not, I, I, don't, I don't know. But uh, it, it was not a great meeting because of the number of people that were there. But it was a great meeting because of who was there. Who did they come to meet? Jesus. And by the way, in it where Jesus is, it's a great place to be, amen? So it was great because of who was there. Tonight, we are his disciples. And I believe from the depth of my heart, just as much as he met with those disciples on the mountain in Galilee, that he's here tonight at Liberty Baptist Church. Hey, don't ever lose sight of that. I mean, uh, I, I love to greet people. I really do. I'm a, I'm a social bug, okay? I love to hug. I love to shake hands. I love to talk and so forth. And I, I love to talk with people, meet people, fellowship with people and so forth. But I've often thought, and I go to church just about every day somewhere. I remember one lady said to me one time, she said, Brother Sisk, I like your preaching pretty good, but you tell too many jokes, you're too funny. And I said, well, I'm in church about every night. If I can't have fun at church, I can't have fun anywhere, amen. So I love to have fun. I love to meet people and so forth. But I often think, if when the service is over and we leave and we have not stopped to think, hey, Jesus was there tonight. By the way, he is. You know what he said? Whether two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in their midst. So it was a great meeting because of the purpose of the meeting. It was a great meeting because of who was there, Jesus. But it was a great summit meeting because of the purpose. What was the purpose of Jesus meeting his disciples on Galilee? And basically, this is what it was. You remember in the gospel that the very last word that Jesus said before he gave up the ghost was, it is finished. In the Greek language, I think that is only one word, te telestai. It is finished. Now, what is he saying? I have done everything my Father sent me to do. I've lived a perfect life. I've performed everything my Father sent me to this earth to perform. And I love this. I have done everything that needs to be done in order for mankind to be saved from their sin. When he said, it is finished, he meant redemption is finished. My blood has been shed. 
And the price of redemption has been paid. And now it is possible for man to be once again with God, with all of his sins forgiven. I've done everything that needs to be done in order for mankind to be saved. And then notice what he did. He said to his disciples, in essence, okay, now I've done everything that needs to be done in order for mankind to be saved. Now, I'm committing this responsibility into your hand to get this message out to a lost and dying world. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God gave them a big job, amen? I've done everything that needs to be done. Now, I'm committing this into your hands. You have the privilege and you have the opportunity and you have the responsibility to get this message out to a lost and dying world. And isn't it wonderful? Tonight, we as a church, Liberty Baptist Church, we have the opportunity to be involved in getting the gospel out to every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth. By the way, that's our job. So it was great because of the person that was there, Jesus. It was great because of the purpose of the meeting. But even greater than that, it was great because of the results of the meeting. Bottom line, the results of the League of Nations was not too good. In my opinion, the results of the forming of the United Nations has missed the mark completely. But what about this purpose? What about this? Read your Bible, Romans chapter 1. By the end of the first century, these early disciples had left Galilee and they went everywhere preaching the word and people were getting saved and people were being trained and baptized and on and on and on. Great things were happening. And Paul could say, the whole world has heard about Jesus Christ. The results of that meeting was absolutely phenomenal. And now here we are 21 centuries later. I never thought I would say that, okay? But, but I lived to, to the 21st century. I, I just didn't believe I'd live that long. In fact, if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of my body, amen? But uh, here we are. And what's the result of that meeting in Galilee? In succeeding generations of believers... They've done the same thing that the early apostles did. They preached the gospel. They got people saved. Uh, they, they trained them. They started churches. They sent out missionaries and so on and so forth. And thank God, in now, already in heaven, there are literally millions of people that are singing praises to God because of the faithfulness of the disciples of the Lord down through the generations. Millions. 
What do you say, Brother Sisk? I don't think there's going to be many people in heaven. I know a lot of people like that. I know some people that think, I'm not sure about anybody except me and you, and I'm not real sure about you, okay? And somebody as well said, if you see somebody in heaven you didn't expect to be there, don't look too shocked. They may be just as shocked to see you, okay? You say, how do you know they're going to be millions in heaven? Revelation chapter 7. And after this, I saw a great innumerable multitude of people. By the way, the Bible does not exaggerate. A great innumerable multitude of people in heaven from every tribe and tongue and nation praising God, singing glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. But not only have people been saved and are in heaven, but think about those early disciples and the disciples in succeeding generations. They've started churches. Aren't you glad for a Liberty Baptist Church? Wouldn't you hate to live in a place where there was no church? Churches started all over the way. Literally through the years, 21st, 21 centuries, through the years, there have been hundreds of thousands of churches. Then there have been schools that have started. By the way, atheists don't start schools. Liberals don't start schools. They steal them, but they don't start them. But um, most of the great schools in America were started by Bible-believing Christians for the purpose of getting the gospel around the world. Now, they have veered from that greatly, many of them. They start orphanages. They start hospitals. Hey, guess what? It's working. We are still seeing the effect of this great meeting. So in verse 16, we see the great summit meeting. Now look at verse 18 for just a minute. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Listen to that. Could I submit to you tonight? That is a unique statement. Of all of the billions and billions of people that have lived, nobody other than Jesus Christ could have possibly made that statement. All power is given unto me. I have authority over nature. I have authority over demons. I have authority over sickness. All authority is given unto me. What a great truth. Hey, by the way, if that was not true, then verses 19 and 20 would be a literal impossibility. Now, Jesus is going to give them the Great Commission. But before that, he says, now, now th just remember, all power is given unto me. And uh, are we not glad tonight that God does not say to us, Pastor, you and your people just go out here and do the best you can and the best we could do would be a total failure. But when we are winning souls, when we are giving to missions, when we are praying and so forth, 
we are involved with omnipotence. Because in the latter part of verse 20, you have the great promise. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. What a great meeting. What a great proclamation. What a great promise. Now let's look for just a few minutes tonight about the Great Commission. Verse 19. Just take it step by step, okay? What, what is the job? Why did he want to meet these disciples? What, what did he want them to do? And by the way, when we read these, let's keep in mind, this is not a suggestion that Jesus gave out to his disciples. It was not a request. It was the command of their general. What is it? Number one, go ye therefore and teach all nations. The great commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations. The, the word teach here literally means to make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The word nations comes from the word ethnos, from which we get the meaning, of course, of ethnic, ethnic group. God didn't want to leave anybody out, amen? Read at, uh, Revelation chapter 7. Every tongue, every tribe, on and on. What a great God we have. For God so loved the world. The world of mankind, everybody. And he says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching all nations. How do you make a disciple? By the way, the first thing you do, you get a person saved. Now, a lot of churches are getting away from soul winning, you know, old-time evangelism. No, 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 we can't do that. That's our main job. Our main job is to tell our Jerusalem and through our giving and praying the entire world that Jesus saves. That's the purpose of our church. If we're not careful, we'll get so involved in so many different things that we forget the main thing. One of my favorite authors is C.C. Ryrie. And he wrote a, a book called Balancing the Christian Life. And in that book preface, he mentions this statement. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And by the way, if you've ever tried to do that, that's not easy, amen? Hey, church, the main thing for me and the main thing for you is to get the gospel to everyone. Thank God you cannot take the gospel to the wrong address. You cannot witness to the wrong person. Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Make disciples. Then after somebody gets saved, what do you do? You baptize them. I've had people say to me, why do Baptists make such a big deal about baptism? And I said, well, because the Bible does, okay. 
uh, Jesus got baptized. All of his disciples got baptized. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. They got baptized. And I've, I've heard people, you know, people ask all kind of dumb questions. How in the world could you baptize 3,000 people in one day? And every time I hear that, I say, would to God I had that problem, amen? We'd get it done, Brother Thompson, one way or another, amen? Uh, the Philippian jailer got saved. He and his household all got saved, got baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch got saved. Here's water. What's keeping me from being baptized? And by the way, baptism has absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. We're saved by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're not saved by any works we do. Baptism is a good work. We're not saved by good works. We're saved by the grace of God. But it has everything to do with our obedience. I've had people that, for some reason or another, they just didn't think they needed to be baptized. One fellow said to me one time, and, and he was right. He said, now, Brother Sis, <clears throat> you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. I said, no, you're right, you don't. And he mentioned the thief on the cross. You know, he obviously didn't get baptized, but he went to heaven. And I said, you're right. But I said, are you a thief? Are you on the cross? If you are, you don't need to be baptized, okay? But if you're not, you ought to be baptized. I've even had people say to me, well, I'm praying about being baptized. You don't have to pray about that. God said, do it, amen. So just quit praying and do what God told you to do. What do you do? You baptize them. Then what do you do? Then you teach them. Teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. And that's what Paul said. The same that thou hast heard among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Think about it. God's great plan. It started with those disciples, the next generation, they taught the next and the next, and it keeps going and going and going, and it's come down to us, and now it is our responsibility and our privilege to get this glorious gospel out to a lost and dying world. The Great Commission. Now, real briefly, how can I, as an individual, get involved in my church so that we are fulfilling, at Liberty Baptist Church, we are fulfilling the Great Commission? And by the way, you can have hundreds of messages on missions, and I do have. But basically, they all boil down to the three things. Hey, this is not the job for a few people. This is the job of every born-again child of God. So what is my job? Doesn't matter about my position, doesn't matter about my time, no, no, no. What is my job individually? Number one, every one of us ought to be going somewhere. Now, I didn't say we all ought to be missionaries. I think a lot more ought to be than our going. 
But everybody ought to be going somewhere. The last thing Jesus said to his disciples just before his ascension was this. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken those, he ascended up to heaven, to the ends of the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world. Everybody ought to be going. Maybe there's somebody in your home that does not know they're saved and going to heaven. Then that's a good place to start. Maybe it's somebody across the street. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's somebody that you meet day after day. But every one of us ought to be going somewhere. Wouldn't it be wonderful if this year every member of Liberty Baptist Church would win at least one person to Jesus Christ? Huh? And you'd have to start two or three services. That's okay. Brother Thompson would like to have that problem, amen? We all ought to go. Everybody ought to be with. Number two, we all ought to pray. Pastor Manchin, we talk a lot about praying. We preach a lot about praying. We teach a lot about praying. The only problem is most people don't pray much. Think about it. Peter tells us that we are a royal priesthood. Now, that's every believer. You are a royal priesthood. Royal means you're part of the family. You know what that means? When you pray to God, you're praying to your father. You're part of the family. I heard a real dumb preacher years ago at the Southwide Baptist Fellowship, and he wanted to let everybody know how important he was. And he said, even my wife and my children have to make an appointment with me if they want to see me. And I thought, how dumb you are, amen. <laughs> if my wife wanted to talk to me, and by the way, she did. Sometimes she did some good preaching to me. And I listened. It didn't matter who I was talking to, I had time for my wife. If my two children or their mates want to talk to me, I have time to listen to them. If my grandchildren want to talk to me, I have time to listen to them. And by the way, now, if my great-grandchildren want to talk to me, I have time to listen to them. Listen. When your wife says, "Hun, I need to talk to you. Wow. When your son or your daughter says, Dad, I need to talk to you. Okay, come on in. When your grandchildren says, Papa, I'd like to talk to you. Man, my ears perk up. I get a text, I get an email. Sometimes, man, my ears perk up. And now, and by the way, I never dreamed that grandchildren could become insignificant. But they did. When great-grandchildren started coming along. <laughs> I mean, you know, 
Like when grandchildren come along, that makes your children insignificant. Somebody as well said, grandchildren are our reward for not killing our children, okay? And uh, so the children, you know, the grandchildren, and then the great, you know, but think about it. Your heavenly father has his ear turned toward you. You say, oh, but that doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you are. You're a born-again child of God. You're a royal priesthood. You have the ear of Almighty God. All of us could pray. I love what the writer of Hebrews said. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but is in all manner tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Listen to that. To find grace to help in a time of need. Are we living in a needy time or not? And thank God we have the ear of God. And woe unto us if we do not use that great responsibility and that great privilege of talking daily with our Father. So we can all go somewhere. We can all pray. And then we can all give. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, talking about missionary giving, every man according as he purposeth in his heart so let him give. So every one of us ought to be going somewhere where we'll be witnessing. Every one of us ought to be praying and every one of us ought to be giving. Now here's the good news. It's working. I mean, you are involved in the greatest task of the whole world and that is to get the gospel out to the world I've had the privilege of traveling to some 80 different countries and everywhere I go there, there are missionaries and souls are being saved and lives are being changed and churches are being started and young people are being trained and they're sending out missionaries. Even the foreign countries, Japan, Korea, the Philippines, they're sending missionaries all over the world. It's working. It's working. We are involved in the greatest task in the history of mankind, and it is successful. Don't you like to be involved in something that's working? Don't, don't forget to witness. Don't forget to pray. And don't forget to give. And one day, thank God, we're going to heaven and we're going to see the results of our praying and our giving and our witnessing. Many years ago, I had the privilege of leading a man to the Lord who was 76 years old. And again, at that time, I was 32. And I thought he was a very old man. And he was old, okay? A lady asked me last week, Brother Tom, Brother says, how old is old? Have you ever thought about that? How old is old? And I, I made a bad, bad mistake. 
I said, how old are you? And I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, don't tell me. You're not supposed to ask a woman how old she is. So don't tell me. But I said, here's, here's what's old. Old is 10 years older than you. You take a six-year-old kid, a 16-year-old kid's old. 16-year-old kid, 26-year-old kid, they're old, you know. So it's 10 years older than you. Thank God I met a lady this morning that was nearly older than me. She was 95, you know, just a couple more years and she'd be old, amen. I've been old and I've been young, the psalmist said, and now I'm old. Yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken or received begging bread. The man's name was Kitanakasan. He got saved. Wonderful, wonderful opportunity. His, his daughter was the wife of a Shinto priest who had gotten saved. I mean, God had done some great and wonderful things. Mr. Kitanaka got saved. About a year after he got saved, my mother was dying with cancer. We came home for a few short months and uh, had to raise some more support and so forth. But I remember the last time I went to that church before I came home. Mr. Kitanaka was standing out in front of the building we had rented. I parked my car. When I got out, I, I looked around, and there he stood. And as soon as he saw me, he started bowing. Yeah. And of course, when he bowed, I bowed, and then he bowed again, and I bowed. <laughs> Have you ever watched Japanese? They just keep bowing and bowing. Now, there's a knack to it. You bow a little bit less each time, okay? And then eventually you get upright. And he began to bow. He put his hand on my shoulder. Never forget it. Shishka Sensei. Toy, toy, America Kara, Korareta. What he needs, somebody needs it. Oshete, Kokoro Kara. Arigato, Mr. Teacher. You came a long way from America just to tell me about Jesus. From the depth of my heart, I want to thank you. And I wept that day, and I couldn't help but think. I've, I've got to tell thousands of Japanese about Jesus. But if he had been the only one, it would have been worth it all. We hadn't been home but a few weeks until Mr. Kitanaka died. I got a letter from Brother Ogawa the interim pastor who later became the pastor. In the letter, he said, Teacher, the old G-son went to heaven the other day. But we had a good Christian funeral. I didn't let him worship the Spirit. And I preached the gospel, and some people got saved. And I read that letter and kept it in my Bible. The old G-son had become a good friend. I baptized him a few weeks after he got saved. And I read that letter one day in a park of near... Harvey, Illinois. I was out there just reading my Bible and praying. I read that letter again, and I thought, when I go back to Japan, the old Jesus won't be there. But then I got to thinking, one day I too am going to heaven. That's what Brother Ogawa said. The old Jesus went to heaven the other day. I too am going to heaven. And I'll get to heaven. And one day, I don't know how long after, but I'll be walking somewhere. 
I see this Japanese man, and as soon as he sees me, guess what? He'll start bowing, I start bowing. And we may bow for a thousand years, okay? And then eventually we'll get close, and he'll put his hand on my shoulder. And by the way, by that time we'll all be speaking English, okay? Maybe not English, but the same language. Teacher, from the depth of my heart, I want to thank you for telling me about Jesus. But I really believe that this is where mission comes in. I believe, Brother Thompson, eventually he'll go to every person that was a member of a church that supported Virginia and me, and he'll tell them, thank you for sending a missionary to Japan. It's going to work someday. I think my favorite recent mission song is the word, the song, Faces. I, I wish I could sing it for you. I can't sing, okay. But here, here's a missionary, and he, he, you know, he felt like he hadn't done much. But then he turned around and Jesus said, showed him all the faces. You know, so many times we witness and we think nothing happened. Somebody else comes along and they witness and somebody gets saved. I planted a pile of water and God gave the increase. But in heaven, we're going to see the results of everything that we've done. Everything we've given, everything we have prayed for, everything we have witnessed about. One day, we're going to be rewarded in heaven. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.